Let's pray. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of each of our hearts find acceptance in your sight, Almighty Father. For you are our rock, and you are our Redeemer. But the church say, Amen. If you're expecting something important to happen in Mississippi, Jackson is the place you'd go to, right? Our senator is laughing, she thinks. <laughs> when the wise men come following the star from who knows where, for how long they travel to get there, they follow the star and they follow the star and they get close and they're like, we should go to the capital city. And so they go to Jerusalem and they go to the king's house because they're looking for a king. That's what the stars have told them is that a king has arrived and they go to Jerusalem looking for the king. And they ask the people in Herod's court where they can find the king. And some of them have studied and know. And they send them on to Bethlehem. They send them on to a place like Winona. Not a very big place. Maybe a place you stop through going to somewhere else if you're not from there or know someone from there. they got a nice pilot there. In Winona, a small town, not, not really much has happened there, but the one important person who's come from there is pretty important. Bethlehem's a, a small tribe. They're not very helpful in, in war. They're shepherds, herders, and farmers. And yet in the middle of this book, this prophecy that Micah offers, Bethlehem is one of the few bright spots. We've been looking at the lectionary readings for the Advent season, primarily at the minor prophets or the readings that we've gotten from these books that we don't read a whole lot of in the middle of our Bibles. They're not very long, uh, which is why they're called minor prophets, not that they're not important. And this week we look at Micah. And Micah, like most of the minor prophets, is talking about the destruction of Israel because of their faithful their faithlessness because of the evils that they've done he's telling them what's coming their way and he says things that you wouldn't want to hear about your home homeland he says i'll make samaria a heap in the open country all her images shall be torn to pieces all her wages shall be burned with fire and all her idols i will lay waste so that's what's happening in the, the northern part of what was once Israel, where the people have already been taken away. And then he speaks about Judah, the, the two remaining tribes. The evil happening in Judah is unspeakable, Micah says. He says that you should be so torn up about it that you should want to shave your head. Everybody should want to shave their heads because of the evil that is happening and the judgment that's coming. And then in chapter 2, you get a little glimmer of hope. The, the Lord is going to gather up his people like sheep in his fold, and the king will pass before them, the Lord at their head. They get this message of hope, and then he starts going after all of the leaders that live in Jerusalem. He says the rulers, the people who lead, the people politically, hate good and love evil. And then he looks at the prophets the people who are supposed to speak on behalf of God. And he says, they 
are preaching things they should not preach. They are leading people astray. They are crying out that there is peace as they themselves are leading war against people that are already struggling, already hungry. The prophets are leading the people astray. And the rulers hate good and love evil. The politicians are accepting bribes. And the priests are charging money for the lessons of God. So the the kings, the rulers, aren't doing what they should. And the prophets aren't doing what they should. And then the priests, the ones who offer sacrifices on behalf of the people and sometimes teach them the law of God, the things of God, they're charging money so that you can get lessons about the Lord. They're enriching themselves on the spiritual hunger of people around them. The rulers and the prophets and the priests have all gone astray. And because of that, Jerusalem is going to become a heap of ruins. And then in chapter 4, we get another glimmer of hope that there's going to come a time where the people don't have to learn war anymore, where they're going to take their, their, uh, take their swords and they're going to turn them into plows. They're going to take their spears and they're going to turn them into pruning, pruning hooks. They're going to take that that was once meant for destruction of other people And they're going to use it to feed and to make sure everyone has enough. And people will sit in their own vineyards under their own fig trees and no one will make them afraid. They're promised that everything will get restored. But it's going to be tough in the meantime. And then we get this little part in chapter 5 about Bethlehem. This, This word means the house of bread. And Why would the prophet talk about Bethlehem? Why would the prophet talk about Winona? A simple place, not full of great warriors, mostly mostly farmers. A small town. But a long time ago, a long time before Micah, and certainly a very long time before Jesus, God called another man from Bethlehem. Not really a man, a a boy. Saul was king, and when Saul was anointed king, everybody knew that Saul should be king. He was tall and he was strong, but Saul had lost the favor of the Lord. And God tells Samuel to go to Jesse's house in Bethlehem and to find his king. And Jesse doesn't want to do it because that's treasonous and he knows that Saul is crazy. And he says, Lord, I don't really think that's a good idea. And the Lord says, you need to do it anyway. And so he goes to Jesse's house and Jesse has a lot of sons. And he brings the oldest forth and the son stands tall and he's handsome and he looks strong. And the Lord says, don't, don't look at his outward appearance. He's not, he's not the one. He's not the one. And each son comes forward, and each one, the Lord says, nope, not that one. And before you know it, Jesse's paraded all of his sons that he thinks might be king in front of Samuel, and Samuel says, none of these are the ones. Do you you have any others? (laughs) Do you have any that you're holding back, Jesse? And Jesse says, well, there's one, but he's the youngest, and he's out keeping the sheep. He's just a shepherd. And Samuel says, I need to see him. So they bring him in, and the Lord says, this is the one. He's ruddy and handsome. 
but not the one anybody expected to be king. And not from a town anybody would have expected the king to come from either. In fact, you all know how kings work. Who becomes king after the king? Alexander is on top of it this morning. Their son becomes king, usually the oldest son. That's right. So Saul has been this warrior king. He's got his own son. But that's not going to be the next king of Israel. And so Samuel in this quiet town anoints this boy David, this shepherd as king, years before he actually becomes king. Years before he takes the throne. There's going to be a whole lot of drama, half half a book of Samuel or more, before David becomes king. But right after this, David starts bringing peace to the kingdom. The next thing he does is he finds himself in King Saul's court. Saul doesn't know he's been anointed as king. Saul's losing his mind a little bit. And David playing the liar brings peace to him. David's gift of music calms, soothes Saul's madness. And then very soon after that, David's back at home Uh, keeping the sheep, and his dad says, your brothers are off in battle. Take them some food. I'm worried they might be hungry. And David goes to battle, and he finds his brothers, and he, he takes them food, and they say, why are you here? And he says, well, dad told me to come. I didn't want to see you either. He doesn't say that part. As he's there, he hears this man shouting out from the valley, mocking the troops of Israel, under Saul's care, saying that he will destroy them and that their God is nothing. And David says, I'll fight him. This is a, it's a strange arrangement that they set up because normally when you go to battle, the whole army fights the whole army from the other side. But the Philistines are pretty confident in their one champion, Goliath, who's far larger than anyone else. And stronger, it takes multiple people to carry his armor alongside of him. He's a big, giant, strong man. And they say, rather than everybody having to die, why don't you send out your best soldier, and we'll send out our best soldier, and that's, that's the way we'll solve this. And David says, I'll go. And nobody else wants to go, so they give him a bunch of armor that weighs him down, and he says, this isn't going to work. And he takes his sling and five smooth stones from the river, And he goes to face Goliath. And Goliath mocks him. Goliath says, do you come at me with sticks? And David says, no. You come at me with a sword and spear and javelin. But I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. And then he tells Goliath exactly what's going to happen that he's going to triumph, and the people of Israel are going to win. And that's what happens. You guys know the story. It's a little bit more gory than the one you learned in Bible school, probably. You should go back and read it sometime. But this is the story of David, a meek shepherd boy who, because he's faced lions and bears defending his father's sheep, is confident that he can take on a giant as well in the name of the Lord. 
The same Lord who's defended him in small ways will defend him in large ways, and that he can do anything in the name of the Lord. And now Micah invokes this one. Someone from Bethlehem, the little town, that's going to come and save his people. And if you notice, Micah uses language of shepherding. That God is going to use this one to gather all of the people back in the fold. You may remember that Jesus tells a story about this. About how a, how a shepherd will leave the 99 and go after the one until they're all gathered up. And you may remember a story about one who comes humbly. Not many people are paying attention until the angels show up to the shepherds and tell them that their king has arrived. A shepherd like them. Though the text doesn't say that. And also one who is ancient of days, Micah says. He's just been born, and yet he's older than days themselves. Mary, the mother of God. Jesus, the Son of God has arrived. And just as Micah has made his list of all the people who have failed Israel, the rulers, the kings, the prophets, the priests, all who are being bought with bribes or or extorting other people for the lessons of God, Jesus comes in each of these roles to save us. The unexpected one from an unexpected town, unless you're paying attention to the story. And you should know that a little shepherd town can produce a great king. And so he becomes a prophet. The one who really does speak the truth to us about God. And he becomes for us a priest. The one who without charge unites us as the people of God to the God who longs to be in relationship with us. And as a king, as the heir of David, as the one who will reign forever in justice and righteousness that will never end. He will bring security. He will bring strength. He will bring peace. The one who's in labor has brought forth one from Bethlehem who can save us. And in a world where it's hard to know who to trust, I've heard many of you bemoan that you can't trust the media, and you can't trust the politicians, and sometimes you can't even trust the preachers, amen? There is one who is coming that you can trust, who is truth itself embodied, who is light itself embodied, who is coming as a faithful prophet, as a faithful priest, as a faithful king, who can restore God's relationship with his people and set everything right again. And if David, out of Bethlehem, with just the Spirit of God with him, can conquer Goliath, what is it that God can do when he shows up himself? as a shepherd, as a prophet, as a priest, as a king. Christ is surely coming to save us. He might not be the one that you expect. David wasn't either. All the older brothers looked more likely. But he is the one 
whom the Lord has sent to do the Lord's work to save his people. Let's anxiously, expectantly wait and hope for that together. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that you're not predictable. We thank you that the way that you save us is not the way we would have drawn it up because it reminds us that we don't save ourselves. But instead, you come humbly in the most unexpected ways to bring your salvation and to restore everything in the world to how it ought to be. And we, O Lord, long for that as we look around wondering who we can trust and where we can find security, where we can find hope instead of despair, where we can find community instead of isolation, where we can find peace, O Lord. We want that, and we seek it. But even more than that, you come seeking us to save us. May we recognize you when you arrive, we pray. Amen.